about seven different, I think this is the eighth message out of the book of Philemon. And um, just by way of trying to reconnect to where we've been, um, Philemon is a runaway servant. He is a man that has taken and fled from his master's home, and that's something in the world in which he lived would be punishable by death. And then he finds himself in a jail cell with the Apostle Paul. How many of you think God has a unique way of getting you exactly where you need to be sometime? Now, the, the idea or the thought is that more than likely Philemon, Philemon somehow did something to land in jail, probably the same thing he did when he left his master's house. Perhaps he took something. And uh, in taking that, the mention in the chapter is about if he, have, if he oweth thee aught, if he owes you anything. And so this man, this man has stolen from Onesimus. And he's probably stolen and done other things. And the Bible, speaking about him, we, we saw last week about the amazing ability of the gospel to change a life. And, you know, I'm glad that Jesus died for our sins. That's what the gospel said. Uh, how many of you understand that Jesus didn't just die to keep you out of hell? Neither did Jesus die to get you to heaven. Jesus died to take care of your sins that you couldn't take care of. Those sins would keep you from heaven and they would end up putting you in hell. But the bottom line is Jesus didn't die to get us to heaven or get us to hell, keep us from hell. Jesus died for our sins. Amen. And then he was buried and that he rose again. That gospel, that gospel changed, it changed Onesimus' life. And the Bible says that in verse number 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Now, if you've got a pen or something, if you would underline that word time past, and then if you'd underline the two words but now. You know, when you look at Philemon's life and you look at what he was as a, as a, a, a wealthy man and then you look at Onesimus and you see what he was and what, what he faced. You know, the Bible says in time past he was unprofitable. That's what the Bible says. In time past, this servant that you had was unprofitable. That may mean maybe he only did the minimum. You ever been around anybody like that in the workplace? They're only going to do what they have to do. They're not going to do anything more and they'll let you know. I don't have to do anymore. Especially if you uh, work in a place like I did for one summer, uh, Saginaw steering gear, unionized, and people knew exactly what they had to do, and that was it, and they weren't going to do anything else. Maybe, 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 maybe Onesimus was like that. Maybe he was careless because of his attitude. Maybe he didn't like where he was. Maybe he didn't like the situation he was in, so he was careless, and maybe he endangered people. That idea is borne out, that phrase there, in time past. Now, there's a reason, I think, that having a King James Bible has so many advantages, and one of them is cross-references. Do you know the first time the phrase time past occurs in the Bible? It is in reference to an ox that gores people, that in time past he gored people. If it was known that he did that in times past, that, that, that was his testimony, that was his reputation, and that owner didn't do something about it, then he was responsible for what that ox would do to somebody else. That was his responsibility. And in time past, Philemon, Philemon is responsible um, for this servant of his, but Onesimus is responsible for his actions. Right. 
We live in a society today that feels like that somebody else is always responsible. That somebody else, because of what happened to me in my childhood, that there is somebody else that has to take the responsibility of my actions. I don't think that's biblical. The Bible says that we're very all of us will give an account of himself to God. You're not going to give an account of those that raised you. You're not going to give an account of those that you work with or in your family. You're going to give an account of your own self. And so Onesimus, Onesimus is an unprofitable servant. He's unprofitable. But look, look at the change in verse 11. Man, this is something now. But now, profitable to thee and to me. In time past, he was unprofitable. But now, he's profitable to thee and to me. He says the same thing down there in verse number 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother Beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee? The power of the gospel is what made Onesimus profitable. Can I say this to you this morning? Listen, the change that took place. I have a question for you. Do, do you have a Christianity that changes you? If the Christianity you have, if it doesn't change you, I don't think it's profitable. The Christianity you have should be something that brings about change in your life. And the reason I say that is if you think about it with me, the prison is not what changed Onesimus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been inside of a prison. I hope you haven't. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But, but, you know, some people, they go to prison, they get changed because of the hardness and because of the difficulty and because of the problems that are faced there. All right? All right I, I, don't, I don't doubt that probably Onesimus was in a very bad place. The prison probably wasn't a very favorable place. I doubt they had air conditioning. I doubt they had a gym to work out in. I, I think it was a hard place. But the prison's not what changed him. And neither is the Apostle Paul. Him bumping into the Apostle Paul is not what changed Onesimus. I, I think it's good to have good friends. Can I get an amen right there? The people that you allow into your life and you choose as a friend have great effect on the direction of your life. But I'm telling you right now, I don't believe that Paul was the one that changed Onesimus' life. Neither do I believe that society somehow by taking blame. That, In other words, Onesimus got there and somebody said, well, I see you're a runaway servant and, you know, it's a terrible tragedy that we've done and we're just going to go ahead and let you go free after we go ahead and put you through a program to help acclimate you back into society and help you get up to spell. I don't think that all the wokeness and all all the things of this society we live in are ever going to bring about real change. If you want real change, it's going to have to come through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what changed Onesimus' life. It wasn't the prison. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't society recognizing the, his poor plight. It was, it was the gospel that changed his life. And the reason that is is because Christianity, listen, is so different than other religions. In Christianity, we have a Savior. In so many other religions, they're trying to save themselves. Now, they may have some kind of Savior. They may have someone. Maybe they even believe in Christ or some form of Jesus Christ. But there's always something that they have to add. There's always something they have to do. There's always something that has to be put away and to put on. I'm telling you right now, Christianity is not about you reforming. It's not about you being determined not to make the same mistakes. Christianity is about having a Savior that died for your sins and paid the penalty and set you free. It's a huge difference maker. And it ought to bring about change. The word begotten there in verse number 10, that, that means born. 
Onesimus got born again in a jail cell. You say, I thought you had to be in church to get born again. Oh, no. Oh, no. All you have to do is be able to hear the gospel and you can get born again. Onesimus got born again. He got converted. He went from being someone that was lost to being someone that was found, kind of like the prodigal son. You know, the Bible says about that prodigal son, my son was dead and is alive again. Well, you can't go from dead to life without the power of God. Would you say amen to that? It, can you imagine us opening a facility somewhere in Greenville for dead people to bring them back to life? Nobody's going to go to that hospital. Nobody's going to go to that place. We, we have a place for that, but it's not called a hospital. What we have for that is a, a mortuary, a morgue. We have coroners. We have people that deal with dead people. Once you're dead, we're not in the business of bringing you back to life. However, however, God's in the business of bringing folks that are dead spiritually to life. My son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, come on now, he is a new creature, a new creature. I'm telling you right now, listen, it, it is a shame, it is a shame that there are people that have a Christianity that can save them from hell but cannot save them from the power of sin. The idea today that when you get saved, nothing changes that you get to continue to socially drink and still use the same words you used to and, and still live like you used to live. In fact, we have churches now that pride themselves on telling people that claim to be Christian, you come in here and we'll make certain that you're comfortable. You can look like those outside the church do and you can talk like those outside the church do. You can listen to the music that the the outside the church. That's why places like New Spring really bother me. If you can start off a service by listening to ACDC sing, I'm on the highway to hell, and think that has something to do with God, I think you have totally lost your mind. That's right. I think you, I think you have, t if you think that Christianity produces somebody that enjoys listening to hell's bells and I'm on the highway to hell or anything else like that, that is not the business that God is in. God is not in the business of saving you so you can live however you want to. God is in the business of changing your life and making you free. It's not about being set free. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Come on, help me this morning. We got made free on the inside. We, we, did, we didn't just get set free. It wasn't like somebody opened the cage and we got to fly out and we got to run away. No, no, no. You could still be inside the cage and be made free because God does a work on the inside of what's going on. That's what happened to Onesimus. Something on the inside changed for him. The first thing I just want to say, I've only got two points. One is this, Christianity that has no power to change your life is not profitable. Now, I'm saying that to some of you younger generation. A Christianity that has no power to change your life is not a profitable Christianity. There are things that we do here as a church that other churches don't do, and I don't know that we're necessarily right or superior I like what we do here. I like the liberty to worship here. I like the songs that we sing, the dearest friend I ever had. I think everybody ought to get to sing songs like that. 
But there are things that we sing and books that we don't sing out of that others choose something different. And that's not the problem. I tell you what the problem, the problem is if you go to a place that claims to be a church and it looks like something you stepped into maybe at a ballpark or some other place like that, a Christianity that doesn't have the power to change a life is not a profitable Christianity. It's not profitable. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying which in time past, the way I used to live in the past, it's not profitable. It's not proper. The sign that says, come as you are. You know, today, we have guests today. We are so glad you're here. We don't expect you to know who we are and sing what we sing. and We, don't expect, we, we are just glad that you're here. But I'm going to tell you, if you get in God's presence long enough, God will start making changes in your life. And, and I'm not saying that change is salvation. That's not it either. We, we don't believe in reforming someone. We believe you need to be born again. And a Christianity that does not achieve that level of change is not profitable. In fact, look at that for just a minute doctrinally because I'm sure that somebody's going to say, well, I, I don't know if that's right doctrinally. Well, let's look at it doctrinally just a minute. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to turn to about four passages just real quickly let you be able to see that. That there should be the power to change in real Christianity. And when I say that, I mean being born again, becoming a new creature in Christ, not joining a church, not, not, not becoming part of a congregation, not having a religion. I mean more than that. I mean if you get born again, there should be the power to change your life. That being said, Galatians chapter 1, look at this is This is the Apostle Paul's testimony. Look what the Bible says. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. You see that in your Bible? In other words, what Paul used to be in time past, holding the coats while men stoned Stephen, threw rocks at him, took his life. That same man that used to walk into a town and hail men and women, go into their homes, pull them out, take them, have them taken to jail. Give his, give his affirmation that their life ought to be taken. That same man that is persecuting and that same man that is opposing Christianity. Now look what it says in times past. Look at that word now. Do you see that word now? Now preacheth, or now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. You know what that is? That is the doctrine that there, God changes your life. He changes your life. He once was persecuting, destroying the church, and now he's preaching that very thing. That is so true of so many people. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a drunken failure of a baseball player. And he wandered in one night in the Pacific Garden Mission, and he heard the gospel about how Jesus died for his sins and that he was buried, rose again the third day. And Billy Sunday got born again. Born again. And then he began to preach all over the country. Thousands of people. Thousands of people got saved. A man that used to once hold a baseball in one hand and when he got finished hold a bottle in the other hand. You know what he was doing? He was holding a Bible in his hand and preaching, thus saith the Lord, and preaching Jesus. Amen. You say, what reform school did he go to? He didn't go to one. He got born again. Doctrinally, that changed your life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians 2. This is true of you and I, Ephesians 2, 2. Wherein in time past, now remember that's where we were in Philemon. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, 
Whatever the world said was popular, that's what you did. Whatever the world said was right, that's what you did. Whatever the majority of your friends said, this is the way we ought to dress and live. This is how we ought to interact. That's the way you lived. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, indulging whatever my, my, my body wanted, whatever my eyes wanted to look at, whatever my hands wanted to touch, whatever I wanted to put in my mouth, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But boy, look at the next two words in verse 4. But God. But God. That's what I was in time past. But God. But God steps in, and then the Bible begins to speak in verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a reform. It's not something you work for. It's something you put your faith in. You put your faith in the fact that Jesus died for your sin. And look what happens now in verse 10. Look at it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ. Somebody help me right there. What we were in time past, what we did with our flesh, what we did with our eyes and our mind and followed the world, but God, and now we are his workmanship. Somebody gets back and says, what happened to him? I tell you what happened to him. Jesus got a hold of him. That's what happened to him. The Lord Jesus put his hands on that man's life, and now he's created unto good works. That's doctrinally right. It's not right just to say, well, as long as you love Jesus, you can live however you want to live. That is not in the Bible. It's taught today, but it's not in the Bible. Look at it again. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Boy, I'm having a good time preaching. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse number 10. Now remember, time passed. That's where we are. Philemon and Onesimus in time past, unprofitable. But now, profitable. Verse number 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How many of you now belong to the family of God? Listen, none of us were born unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I'm aware of. There may be somebody in here that you could claim to be a Jew, and if you are, that's God's chosen people. But the rest of us, as Gentiles, whether you're from the north or the south, New York or South Carolina, doesn't matter. We're all on the outside of that. But when you got born again, now we are the family of God. Look at the next verse then. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, not to God but to the world, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. If you're now, if you're now God's people and if you're now a product of that by mercy and grace, then now... Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That, that's why for the life of me, I, I do not understand why people want to champion social drinking. I don't understand that. There are enough of you in here that used to sit at a bar or used to have beer in your refrigerator or used to have something you drank at night there's enough of you in here that know that there is absolutely nothing good that comes out of that. Then why would a church and why would a group of people say, well, that it's all right to do? The only thing I can figure is that they think, well, everybody else is doing it. It's all right. It kind of reminds me of what my dad used to say. If everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do the same thing? It doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it. We ought to be doing what's right in the eyes of God. 
right. You and I ought to live by a different set of standards after we get saved than we did before we got saved. Right. Before you got saved, it was all right to have relations with somebody that was not your wife or your husband. After you get saved, you need to get married before you partake of that. Right. There ought, there ought to be a change in the way we live. And that's what he's saying. Look at it again, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse number 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. That's just being loose. Lusts, excess of wine, revelings. That's a party. Banquetings. That's, that's, that's all the eating you can do. And abominable idolatries. That's loving something more than you love God. He said, now that was what we did in time past. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, are you looking in your Bible? Look in your Bible. Look at verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. Something changed. Where I used to be full of excesses of wine, revelings, banquetings, and lasciviousness and lust, now I used to run that direction. Well, now I quit running that direction after I get saved. And they think it's strange that you don't continue to do that. I would say this. They ought to think it's strange if you said, I've been born again, my sins have been washed away, but I'm going to keep living just the same way you do. That's strange. That's strange. The doctrine is, is that we actually change the way we live because we've been born again. We don't change the way we live to become pleasing to God, to be born again. But when you get born again, when you have been begotten of God by the gospel through faith, when you put your faith in the finished work of Christ, you're born again and it changes your life. Now that's the doctrinal side. Look at it practically just a minute. Look at Acts chapter 9. Are you looking in your Bible? Acts chapter 9. So somebody says, well, what does that look like? How, how do you see that in a person's life? Well, Acts chapter 9, the man that is writing the letter to Philemon, or at least the man that God's using to write that letter, his name used to be Saul, not Paul. And if you look there in verse number 1 of Acts chapter 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciple of the Lord. He's threatening and he's threatening to kill. He's breathing out, threatening and slaughter. They think about that breathing. You, I, I, there's no telling how many times you have breathed in this auditorium today. That is something that is a natural process. That's something you don't have to think about. Now, it's something you're thinking about now, but it's not something you were thinking about a few minutes ago. A few minutes ago, you just breathe. You don't sit there and say, okay, inhale, exhale, inhale, Exhale. That, it's something that's natural. It is natural to Saul to breathe out threatenings and slaughter. Have you ever heard somebody that curses every other word? It's just natural. It just comes out. Look at the next verse. Verse number 2, And desired of him letters to Damascus, the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He's going to arrest them. We'll find these people. going to eradicate them. Well, he bumped into Jesus in, in Acts chapter 9. And he saw himself for who he was. And he found out that Jesus just wasn't just a, a prophet or a good man. He found out that he was the Lord of glory. 
And you know what happened to his life? Look at verse 26. Look at this. This is how it looks. A man that's breathing out threatenings and slaughter and persecuting the church. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now he wants to be a part of who they are. I, that leads me to say this. Hey, I'm glad to be part of Tabernacle Baptist Church. The, the church is my crowd. You, you can find a lot of fault with this crowd, but I tell you what, I can find a whole lot more fault down at the bar. I can tell you that right now. Right, he said, I want, to be, I want to be who you are. And then look what else it says. He says this. He has said to join himself the disciples. They're all afraid of him. Verse 27. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way. He said, he's been born again. And that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. The name that he hated is the name he's preaching in now. Yeah, I guarantee you, there's somebody in here, you, you had no love for a Bible, but now that you've been born again, you love the Bible. You had no love for the church, but now that you've been born again, church is where you want to be. Amen. Look at the next verse. And he was with them coming and going out at Jerusalem, verse 29, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's talking boldly in the name of Jesus. You say, what happened to him? What seminary did he go to to produce that? Didn't go to a seminary. He got born again. He hung up his religion of trying to do something for himself to get to God and instead accepted what Jesus did for him at the cross of Calvary. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I'm telling you, you know what you need to do? You don't need a religion. You, don't, you, you do not need to become a Baptist. Becoming a Baptist is not going to help you. Now, we believe it's biblical, but it's not going to help you. Turning over new leaves is not going to help you. You know, stopping the drinking is not going to help you. I think it's a good thing. You know, stopping cursing, that's, that, that's not going to help you. It's a good thing. What you need today, if you've never been saved, you need to put your faith that Jesus is your personal Savior. That he paid your personal sin debt, something you couldn't pay and don't have enough money to pay. If you'd put your faith in what he finished at Calvary, you know what he said he'd do for you? He'd save your soul. And then you know what you'd find out? You'd find out what many of us have found out. Somebody help me now. That you got born again, you went down praying, you were a guilty sinner full of all kind of fear. You came up somebody born again shouting and praising the Lord that there was a change that had been made. Amen. Amen. That's real. Come on. How, how, many of you, how many of you would testify, that's real. Amen. That what I was in time past, I've changed now. And it wasn't me that did the changing. He did it in my heart. Amen. He changed me. He changed me. You know, there's a song that uh, I believe it was um, Bill Gaither that wrote, Thanks to Calvary. I love that. Can I read a little bit to you? Today I went down to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. And when they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them, Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. <laughs> Amen. Then we went down to the house where we used to live. My little boy ran and hid behind the door. And I said, son, you don't need to be afraid. You've got to do daddy now. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. Here the song says, thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And while the tears rolled down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary. I don't live here anymore. That's practical. That, that's not a Reformation program that Paul enrolled in. That is what real salvation does in your life. It changes you on the inside. 
Look at it one more time. Look at Acts 16. Acts 16. I know we're a little bit past 12, but <coughs> Acts 16, Paul has been put into prison, and when they put him in prison, they took him in, and they had um, they'd beaten him. You find that in verse 22. Verse 23, they'd laid many stripes on him. Verse 24, they put him in the inner prison and put his feet fast in the stocks. So he is... He's in the prison, and there's a jailer there. I got the privilege years ago while we were in Thessalonica going to Philippi and seeing what they said was the jail that Paul stayed in, and I tried to envision this picture. There's a jailer, and there are other prisoners there, and the Bible says God sends an earthquake, and all the doors open, and all the, all the chains fall off. By the way, he doesn't send an earthquake to do that now. He just sent his son to take care of that for you now. Chains can fall off, doors can open. Well, when that happened, this jailer is going to take his life because he's responsible for all these men and they're going to kill him for letting them go free. And he calls for Paul and he comes into him and he asks this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what he told him? He said, I'll tell you what you do. If you'll put your faith in the Jesus we've been singing about, but well, we started off today. Jesus paid it all. Yeah. Do you know Jesus paid for all your sins? Yeah. Jesus did that. And if you put your faith in that, you can be saved. But now, look what happens then in, in verse number 33. So this man gets saved. Verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. Get that picture in your mind just a minute. There's a Philippian jailer, and here's Paul and Silas. Their backs are beaten and bloody, and he's the jailer, and he's rough and gruff about it. And boy, they slam those feet in those stocks, and those chains are held fast, and it's dark. And he probably doesn't have any kind words for them. He walks off, and they're in there singing. I imagine he probably said, y'all be quiet. They just kept on singing. They get to praying and talking to God, and he thinks, man, what a bunch of religious fanatics. And then when he hears the words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And now those men that were in the stocks in a place he didn't care about, he's got them at his house, and the Bible says he's now taking, he's washing, he's washing those stripes. Do you see what he's doing? He's become profitable. He didn't care about them just a minute ago, but now he's taking and he's washing their stripes and he's taking and trying to comfort them. You say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. He got born again. He had a salvation that changed the inside. And that's my second and last point. If you go back to Philemon, if you go back to Philemon, a Christianity that has no power to change is not profitable. But a Christianity that has power to change now listen to me, will make you profitable, but not to yourself. Today when we think about the word profit, we think about what we can put in our pocket. That is not what's in the passage. Look at it again. Verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. 
He didn't say problem to himself. He didn't say, well, Onesimus has got saved and now he's the beneficiary and now he's doing great. He said, no, now he's profitable to you, Philemon, and he's profitable to me. This man that was a runaway servant that had probably a bad attitude and a record, he's now profitable. Look at it one more time. I told you in verse 16, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Now he's like a brother to me, especially to me, but how much more to thee? In other words, he's become somebody that's not in it for himself. He's now become somebody that is trying to be a blessing to somebody else. It's not about what he can gain from Philemon. It's about what he can give to Philemon. In fact, look again at verse number 13. Whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. In other words, he's saying this. I wish I could have kept Onesimus here because he could have helped me. Paul is old. Paul's got all kind of hurts and injuries. He's been stoned. He, he, could, he could have used somebody there to help him. And he said, I could have kept him here. He could have been proper to me. Because I imagine, after, come on, how many of you think that after Onesimus got born again, he probably changed his attitude in the jail cell? Amen. How many of you think he probably started saying, Paul, what can I do for you? I, I wouldn't doubt it if he had a pill in Paul. When he said, here, you just go ahead and have my pillow. Maybe he took the coat he had off and said, Paul, here, I want you to go ahead and have my coat. Probably not what happened in the beginning, but after he got born again, I think he changed the way he was listening and living. Now he's profitable, not for himself, but to somebody else, and now profitable to Philemon. The gospel did that. I don't think all the self-help books in the world can make you a a good citizen and somebody that cares about other people. But I tell you what can, Jesus Christ moving into your heart, you becoming like him. It'll change the way you see people. We were in uh, Romania probably 20 years ago. My brother was the missionary there and he wanted to start a church. And so what we did is we went out and we, we brought in lots of Romanian Bibles and we would rent different places to go and hold services, a school, and invite people. Well, one day, one day we, we had rented a venue and had all of these Bibles there with us. And there was a man there that was selling melons. And we're bringing stuff in and getting the services ready. And we passed out all kinds of invitations. And, and now people start to come in, but they're not stopping and buying melons. They're going into the building. Nobody really has anything to do with him. And the more people that kept coming into that building, the more aggravated that, that man became. We're cutting into his business. You're, you're causing problems with my clientele. And you're having all these people go into the building and nobody's buying my melons. And I tell you, he was, he was aggravated with us and, and really he, he, he did not appreciate us being there. Well, during the course of that service, we had several people that listened to the truth that Jesus died for their sins personally. And they accepted that and they got saved. And would you believe our melon salesman was one of those men? You say, how do you know that? Because when we came outside, all the workers that were there trying to help the services, they all had watermelons they'd broken open and they're eating them. And that man is smiling now. He's not frowning. And he had a Bible. And I got a picture of him, never forget it. He had a Bible that he'd gotten because he got saved and he kissed that Bible and he held it up in the air. You say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. 
he bumped into a God that changed what was on the inside. He went from being in it for himself and what he could gain to now, I've got a melon for all the people that are there and I'm just happy to give it all away. Now, probably down the road, he probably thought, why in the world did I give away all my watermelons? Because something happened on the inside. Do you remember a day something happened on the inside? If all you have is some check mark you can place and say, well, I prayed this prayer. I'm not against praying prayer, but if all you have is a check mark along the road of life, there's more than that. There is a reality that there is a salvation that comes on the inside that changes your life and who you are for all eternity. And you can't work for it, and you can't earn it, and you can't pay for it. It's a free gift offered by Jesus Christ. And old Nesmus got him a big dose of it. I don't know about you, I'm glad I got a dose of it as well. Would you stand with me to your feet just a moment? Thank you so much for your patience today. And if you just look this way, I, I just want you to reason with me just a moment. The Bible doesn't say that Onesimus didn't have a religion when he was in the house of Philemon. More than likely, I would say that he did. He just didn't have salvation. And I wonder if in the own honesty of your heart right now, you could say, you know what? I have never had any kind of change like that. I've gone through catechisms, I've gone through baptisms, I've sat inside of different places of religion, but I, I've never had anything like that. I, I might have a Bible. I might even pray over my meal from time to time. But I've never experienced a liberating change that Jesus made me free. Now, if you have, you know what I would say? Praise the Lord for that day. But if you haven't, you know what I'd tell you today? Today would be a great day to do that. This day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So if you just bow your heads just a moment. One question and then a second and I'll be finished. How many of you know that you have been born again and are a child of God by faith? Would you hold your hand up high? All over the auditorium. Amen. Keep it up there just a moment, would you? All right, thank you. You can put it down. Now, I could be wrong, but it looked as if there were some that could not raise their hand. How many of you with a slipped-up hand now, if you could just say, listen, I would like a salvation that changes the inside. I'm tired of life and the religion and the, just the seemingly spiral of life. I would love to have that kind of salvation. Would there be anybody that would just slip your hand up and put it down? Anybody just hold your hand up and put it down? You say, preacher, I, I'd, I'd love that kind of salvation. All right, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that you've made a difference on the inside. Amen. And God, what we would ask is that you'd help us to live 
to that standard that we would live as if we've been changed, Lord, that there would be something notable and something unique and something joyful and pleasant on the inside of us that is uniquely different from what's on the outside of this world. And thank you, Lord, that that, that gift is made available to anybody. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter whether they're a male or a female, whether they're a, a child or an older person. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. God, thank you that you loved all men and sent your son to be a sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have one um, song of invitation or one verse of invitation. If nobody comes, we'll close this morning. But if you feel like God's dealt with your heart, if you've not been saved, I'd encourage you to step out. I'll meet you halfway. be a great day to get saved today. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Let's sing that, let's sing that next verse together with him. Let's just sing it. Can you just sing it? Christianity that has the power to change. Amen. Power to change into somebody profitable. And uh, on the way out today, would you do me a favor? On the way out today, somebody you don't normally speak to, find somebody on your way out now you don't normally speak to and just say, I love you and I'm glad you were here today. All right? Can you do that? Didn't say to kiss them. Didn't say to take any money. Just said, tell them you love them. I'm glad you're here today. God bless you. Dismissed.